0: You're having a little too much fun, which is exactly what I hoped would happen. So I'm going to start praying. If you want to work your way back to your seat, that's cool. If you just want to keep milling about, that's also cool. Hey, Father, uh, we love you. We don't know how to do it like nine days out of ten, but we love you. So I pray that you would help us today to love each other. I pray that you would help us through this message together. I pray that we would hear what you have to say. I pray that it would inspire us. I pray that it would change our lives. I pray, Lord God, that we would come to you in dependence and we would learn to trust every word that comes from the mouth of your son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. You guys can have a seat or, again, whatever. I actually don't care. Um, I like to walk around. So, Whew. Man, I tell you what. Look at you, Sue. Go for it. You. Sue's over there busting a move. She's wired up today. Yeah, I tell you what. I might be a little fired up myself. I don't know. Um, I got to listen to a man named Peter Chu uh, Friday night and met him yesterday and asked him to pray for me yesterday. Uh, He's been called the Billy Graham of uh, China. But it's funny. He told the story. He he had started a, a house church, well, a university, basically, a house church university in China that became the basis for the underground church in China back in the late 60s, early 70s. He's 84 years old and way fiery, more fiery than I am, And uh, if you can imagine. But anyway, he uh, so Billy Graham wanted to meet him. So uh, they had a meeting set up. Billy Graham went to China, and they had a meeting scheduled, and Peter Chu was going to be there, and Billy Graham was going to meet him. The meeting was at 7 o'clock that night. At lunch that day, Peter Chu got arrested and spent the next four years in jail uh, for building the... Billy Graham helped him find him, <laughs> unknowingly, obviously. But um, that's how he got to be known as the Billy Graham of China, because the day he was supposed to meet Billy Graham, he got put in jail. Never got to meet Billy Graham, so um, at least not back then. Uh, anyway, I was just compelled by his message because the Chinese Christians have suffered so much for their faith. And uh, and it's happening all over the world. I mean, you, you have, you have uh, those in the 1040 window, they call it, which is... Uh, Basically, there is a window on the map of the world that the gospel has not reached. And you have Christians that are penetrating that today. One of the largest, fastest growing church movements in the world is in Iran right now. And it's being led by it's it's being it's being stirred up by women. They are these moms and grandmothers are storing the gospel because there's not a lot of literacy in that area. And they're storing the gospel and the gospel is just burning through iran so much that it's causing political upheaval in that country and uh, boy wouldn't it be nice to have such a political upheaval in this country something like that you're like oh we have political upheaval we don't have the right kind yet and if one more person tells me to take back my country on tuesday i'm going to tell them i've been trying that for 30 years i really think jesus is the only answer and so um uh, uh, but anyway whoops <laughs> I did vote, by the way. I wrote in a few names. I put Jesus down a couple times. Um, just kidding. Awesome. I didn't actually do that, but still. I want to. Every year, I want to, like, he's the only one who can do this. Everyone else is a train wreck, and so. Um, so I'm having a little fun. I, I, I'm going to try and have fun, but I, what we're talking about day, today could not be more serious, and so just because we try not to be solemn around here doesn't mean we aren't serious, and we actually meddle in things, I think more, well, meddle's probably not the right word. I think we deal with things that a lot of churches are afraid to deal with. And, um, and so today, I'm not, it's, this isn't something that any church is afraid to deal with, but there is the reality that there's, there's something at stake, and there is evidence of things, there are evidences of things. And so that's what I want to, to lean into and talk about today. This is our last message in the series, Kingdom Protocols, and we're talking about the foundation of your faith, the very foundation of your faith. Um, So I I just want you to know that I, and I'm sure you know this, but let me just state it because sometimes you need to restate the obvious. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ is God's answer. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, I don't hate you. I'm not mad at you. If you came to that decision because you made a conscious choice, then I have all and utmost respect for you. If you made a conscious choice that Jesus is not your answer, I I respect that. I don't like it, but I respect that. If your choice that Jesus is not your answer was never a choice, if you're just kind of drifting through life and you've never really considered Jesus, that's that's a choice by avoidance, not a choice by conscious making a choice. And so I don't like that. That annoys me. Jesus forces a decision. You either accept what he says or you don't. And so I might stir up a little bit of trouble, but know this. I believe in Jesus, and because of that, in many circles, I would be considered backward, angry, bigoted, society harming, just like Jesus was. Just like Jesus was. And so, know that I accept him. So, I wanted to give you a challenge. I wanted to present you with the problem. Because sometimes, if you go to church a lot, you forget the problems. So, here, I'm going to help you see one. Here's something that Jesus said. It's a very simple verse that is infinitely problematic in the world in which we live. Infinitely. These came from Jesus' lips. These words. God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. That's right. That is an annoying verse. Michael, what are you saying? I'm not saying anything. That's what you need to understand. I'm not saying anything. Jesus said something. And Jesus said this. So you're like, if you don't see all the problems, let me help you. See, I'm kind of—I stir things up. I—I I, I would apologize, but it's so much fun. I'm never going to quit. God made people. God did it. Not an accident. The mother nature that gets deified in every biological show that you see is not a personality. Mother nature is a creation of God. God instituted certain laws and rules. He made mother nature. Okay. And so God created and he put Adam and Eve, male and female, at the beginning. And I know your biology teacher hates that particular verse and they and the Bible gets dismissed because of that. Because here's God saying, I created all, put Adam and Eve there in the beginning. Jesus said this, not me. I'm not a biology teacher. I am a troublemaker. That's all I am. <laughs> One more thing that is particularly problematic in the world in which we live. God created them male and female. Humanity is binary. There are males and females. And Michael, I don't like that. That's not what we're learning today. I love you and I know that there's issues with corruptions and things that have happened, but in the simple reality, this is what God did. He made men and he made women. Okay? And we all struggle with something, and you may struggle with that. And I don't judge you for that. I'm just telling you what God did. Now, if you may be sitting there, and you may be like, Well, yes, I love this. This is good. Jesus said it. You may be sitting there go, I hate this. I don't like this. I get it, but here's the thing. The guy who said it rose from the dead. So I, I, I know there's a lot of science, a lot of biology, and I, I love science. Don't think I'm just walking around. I'm not a science denier. I just hate liars, and they call me, liars call me a denier, but that's another subject for another time. It's not political at all. It's just me ticked off, and, uh, but I do, I, I know this. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of the universe, according to Colossians, chapter one, and he said, this is how things were. He died on a cross and rose from the dead three days later. And I have never met anyone else who pulled off that particular hat trick. So I trust Jesus. Okay. You can hate me. You can throw me in jail. You can take away everything I have. It's not going to change that. Jesus is my answer. I say that not tongue in cheek and not with bravado. I believe that the kind of persecution that our brothers have experienced in China and that have, they are experiencing, well, they are currently experiencing in China as well, but in persecuted nations, I believe it has come to our shores. It's not as intense as it will be, but I believe it's here, and it won't matter who wins the next election, it will still happen. Why? Because I read Revelation. I read the last chapter. I know how this goes down. Okay. By the way, Revelations is full of stuff that Jesus said. The guy who rose from the dead. Okay, so I trust him. Not trying to make you uncomfortable. I just I'm telling you, there's a different way to look at things, and that is what Christianity is about. We're not trying to hybrid a Christian worldview into a world. We are leaving this place. We love you, and we're taking everyone who'll go with us. But this place is corrupted and is condemned. So I'm out, eventually. Maybe not today. Hopefully I get a nap first. (laughs) Why did I show you there? Why Why did I stir up all this trouble? There's a major problem between the world in which you live and the faith that you hold. They are not just at odds with each other. They are at war with each other. And you have to know who you're going to trust. And if you walk out of here today and you haven't made the decision about who you're going to trust, either I have failed at what I set out to do, which happens sometimes, or you've ignored me quite well, which I'm going to make as hard to do as possible, or you just refuse to think about it. Okay? So let's look at the words of Jesus. Jesus says really inconvenient things, so here we go. Luke 6, 46. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. You want to know what a Christian is? That's a Christian someone who listens to Jesus teaching and then follows that teaching and makes it part of their life. That's a Christian. Anything outside of that is not a Christian. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how many times you go down an aisle. I don't care what your religion is. If you don't listen to Jesus teachings and follow them, you are not a Christian. Did I make that clear? Thank you. By the way, Jesus said it, not me. Michael, you're going to get Jesus in trouble today. He can handle it. Yes, yes he can. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. And when the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. All the construction guys in the room just cringed. When the flood sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Now you know why faith all across America has been collapsing over the last several decades. Why? Because the only way to build your house on a solid rock is to listen to the teachings of Jesus and follow them. And I know what you're probably thinking. Oh no, man, the Bible says you're saved by grace through faith. Yes, you are. What is faith? If you don't trust the words of Jesus that what he says is correct over your own words, you do not have faith. Faith does not save you. I mean, faith does save you, but faith is not how you please God, Faith is evidence, I mean obedience. I'm sorry, I've got a word jumbled. I don't know what happened there. Let me back up. (laughs) Obedience, following those teachings does not save you. It is evidence that there is faith there that saves you. Okay? You can't say, I trust Jesus, if you don't do anything he says. Let me say that again. You can't say, I trust Jesus, if you don't do anything he says. Hang on to that. That's a fact. Okay, so Jesus tells us to do the things he says. Faith, Jesus banks and sets upon action, sets upon the things that we do. And so, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my way. I got jumbled there. I don't know if I'm tired or just dumb. We're working on it. We'll see what happens. So I asked myself as I read this, I'm like, okay, Jesus says, listen and follow, listen and follow and then he started out though with this everyone if a lot of people say to me lord lord what does that mean lord lord curiosity it means uh, i he, this is the michael mayner translation of the word lord boss boss man uh a lot of you are thinking of bosses in your life some of you are married to him. no i'm just kidding uh, so here's jesus saying why do you call me the boss of your life why do you say i'm in charge Because when you say that Jesus is your Lord, you're saying Jesus is God and Lord over my life. He's the one who tells me what to do. He gives me directions. He's my master and commander. American Christianity hates the idea of Jesus as master and commander. We like Jesus as our buddy. Our idea of God, this is the first time in history that the the church has had this concept of God that is just like, God just loves us all and wants us all to be happy. You're like, Michael, why are you doing that? I don't know, it's kind of fun. You should try it. (laughs) It's kind of fun. Never before in the history of Christianity has there been this idea that God could love you and that have zero impact on your life. He just loves you. And here's the thing, God does love you. He does just love you. But walking in relationship with God, that's a little bit different. You might love Johnny Depp. Uh, Being married to Johnny Depp sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) I don't know, but I just saw this court trial. I just saw snippets of it, and I'm going, this is stupid. If in order for that marriage to Johnny Depp to work out, somebody's got to give up their life, I'd recommend Johnny, Uh, but still, that's just me the same way with God. If you're going to be in a relationship with God, Jesus said, you have to lay down your life. You have to take up your cross. You have to follow me. God loves you, and that will never stop. You walking in relationship with God, that requires some changes. Okay? So, Jesus said, if you don't, if you can say, Lord, Lord, and he says in Matthew seven twenty three, he's going to reply to a group of those people. And to me, this is the most... Matthew chapter 7, verses 20, is the most terrifying passage in the Bible to me. Because in that passage, you have this this group of people who say, Lord, Lord. And then they list off all the cool stuff they did for Jesus. And I mean, they had big, cool stuff. They built ministries, There were healings, There were miracles. And they did it all in the name of Jesus. And then Jesus says to them in Matthew 7, 23, he says, "I, I, I never knew you. Can you imagine that? I mean, these people dedicated their life to God, but here's what happened. Here's what went wrong. He says, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. The first edition of the New Living Translation translated that verse as, you did things that were unauthorized. That verse shook me to my core. That's when I realized I can't just dream up stuff that would be cool to do and dedicate it to God. I have to do the stuff that God wants done, I have to listen to God. And so here Jesus is telling us, you can't just say, Lord, Lord, that's not enough. What is the evidence of our faith? What's the evidence of actually believing in God is that we actually do stuff in accordance with God's commands and the things that Jesus told us to do. We're obedient. We're not obedient to get saved. We're obedient because we are saved. We're not trying to get God's approval. We are approved. And so we live in response to that. Does that make sense? This is how this works. It's really important. And here's here's why. This is kind of the heartbreaker. There are a lot of people in America, because of 60, 75 years of an approach to the gospel that was really me-focused, and basically said, listen, man, if you'll just go up and go through this ritual, we didn't call it a ritual because we're Protestants and we think we got rid of all rituals, but we didn't. We just changed them to other rituals. And if you'll go through this ritual and you'll pray this repeat-after-me prayer then bam, you got fire insurance and you're saved. Yeah, that makes me angry. Why? Jesus never said that. You will never find anywhere in the New Testament a moment where Jesus led anyone through a prayer. You won't see it. Michael, don't we need to pray to get saved? We need to ask God to save us. Whosoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good. But if we pray a prayer and then we walk out and our life is unchanged. What did that prayer mean? Seriously? You see what I mean? If it doesn't if you meet Jesus and it didn't change your life, I don't think that's possible. Jesus is a life changer. He's a world changer. His presence on the planet changed everything. And when he shows up in your life, he'll change you. You see, yes, a decision is is a great start. We don't know where else to start, so we start there, man. Commit your life to Christ. I can help you pray. That's a great place to start. But what we really need, what you need, is so much trust in Jesus that you look at the crazy things he said, and you go, well, you know what? It doesn't make sense in the world in which I live. But this dude rose from the dead. And I trust him. Yep. So when he says, love my enemies, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I'm going to love my enemies. Yep. When he says, give, and give of my life, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But he said, do it. So I'm going to plunge off into the sea here and see what happens. That's Christianity. Christianity. It's an amazing exploration of the truths of Jesus. And here's the cool thing about it. When you step out of the world in which you live and into the kingdom that he instituted by obedience to him, amazing things happen. Example, analogy. You ever do something that your parents said you should do and it worked out exactly as they said it would work out? (laughs) Some of you are going, no, I never tried that. (laughs) I hear you took me a long time myself. (laughs) Here's Jesus saying, this is how things really are. This is how the universe really works. This is what my father's really up to. And so if you just do this, things are going to change in your world. You're going to find new principles. You're going to find out that the world you're living in is lying to you. And the world you're going to is your actual life and sustenance and breath. So the foundation of all this faith is actually taking some steps and believing and doing. Have you, I don't know if you've read the Bible much. One really cool chapter is Hebrews chapter 11. If you're looking for a cool chapter to read in the Bible, Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter. And in that chapter, it describes what faith looks like. And the most interesting thing about Hebrews 11 is that faith looks like someone doing something. Over and over again, it looks like someone doing something. Enoch walked with God, and all of a sudden, he went home with God till dark, and it never gets dark where God is, so he never came back. (laughs) Noah, God showed up in Noah's life and said, Hey, uh, build a boat. Noah said, What's a boat? He said, Build it out of gopher wood. Gopher wood. What's that? It's going to rain. Wow, we are not communicating. What is rain? This is Noah's, the start on Noah's story. And, and here it is, a guy who had no context for what God was talking about and still did what God said. God shows up to Abraham, says, I want you to leave where you are, and I want you to go somewhere, and you'll find out when you get there. That sounds like how I give my wife directions. <sighs> I'll just call you when you're there, honey. Now, thanks to find my phone, I can actually do that. You know, she's close to Walmart. Going to get a pizza! Anyway, so. (laughs) Jacob, Joseph, so many others. You have all these stories about people who did something God told them when what God, God told them to do did not make sense in the context of their lives. And yet they did it. Do you get this? Is it starting to come clear as to what faith actually is and why Um, obedience is so important we we have faith and faith is action and this faith is a foundation for us and that foundation is very firm in our lives by faith these people overthrew kingdoms ruled with justice received what god had promised them they shut the mouths of lions but others were tortured refusing to turn from god in order to be set free they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection they put their hope They put their hope in a better life after the resurrection. None of these people would have bought a book entitled Your Best Life Now or Forever. I'm not insulting anyone. I'm just telling you they wouldn't have done it. Why? They had no faith in this life. Digest that. They knew that not a one of them would have said you know well you know you only live once they wouldn't have because they realized that their life on earth was not their life it was their birth they were being born into a new kingdom a new world established by God a world where all the tears are wiped away and all the sorrows are gone that's what they were looking for and looking at That's how faith moves. That's how faith works. And as I think of all these crazy people who built boats and took journeys and went to war and walked through plagues and suffered, I think of all these people, and I ask myself, (laughs) actually, I look at myself, and I'm like, God, I want that kind of faith. Pastor Asif is a missionary, uh, well, he's a national that we support in Pakistan, and he sends me photos and stories all the time <clears throat> about the things they're doing. And I don't even know what to say. I don't know how to tell Pastor receive. man, I love you. I love what you're doing. You are my hero. But we live such different lives. Because, you know, after today, I'll, I'll share this message and I, I'll, I, will, I will pull apart the layers of all of our hearts to get to this truth of whether or not Jesus is our Lord and whether or not we're doing what He says, but then I'm going to go home. I'm going to have a nice lunch. Obviously, I don't miss too many of those. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to get up and I'm probably going to rest and get my, my brain set up for tomorrow and I'll sit in a warm house. I'll probably have a fire this evening because I just love having a fire. I mean, if it's in the wood stove, not other places. <laughs> <clears throat> and I'm just going to be pretty Peaceful he's going to go out today and he's going to hand out Bibles in places where it's illegal to do so. He's going to go share stories today with people to try and bring them to faith in Christ and it's illegal to do so and every one of those people that believes in Jesus Christ will now be an outsider of their cultural system in Pakistan because the core Laws and constitution of that nation are entirely Islamic in nature. It's the first nation on the planet that started from an Islamic basis. He's gonna risk his life walking into towns where the gospel's unwelcome, and then when he comes home, he's gonna come back to an apartment complex that may or may not have electricity, depending on the day, and live in a very small quarters with his wife and children. And I look at his life, and I'm like, you're my hero, and I don't even know if I'm saved. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I tell you that because it takes a different outlook. You, you've, we have to trust Jesus, and it, it can't matter. It can't matter. It can't matter anymore what's happening around you. The circumstances you're experiencing should have zero impact upon your faith. I'm not saying they don't make your life more or less comfortable or uncomfortable. I'm saying they cannot shake your faith. If they shake your faith, if your circumstances shake your faith, then there's something wrong with the foundation. And the only acceptable foundation is very simple listen to what Jesus said, do what Jesus said. That's it. It's not how you get saved. It's evidence that you are saved. Does that make sense? And so this foundation is firm. You can trust the things that Jesus said to you. And by the way, what's the alternative? I'm not trying to be rude, but seriously, what else are you going to believe in? Who else rose from the dead? Well, Michael, I don't know if I believe in that. Okay, what do you believe in? Where did you get it? Did you get it from a professor, a teacher, someone who was determined to strip your faith from you? Did you get it from a friend who had gone through bad experiences and they wanted you to share their misery and so they helped take away your faith? How did you get to a place where you no longer believed in the one who rose from the dead? Because I would argue, and this I'm, this kind of an assumption, again, not trying to be rude, but I would argue that my faith in Jesus gives me life and fills me with joy. Your faith in yourself or nothing or something weirder, I would argue that it doesn't really help you that much. Say, Michael, it makes me happy. We'll see. We'll see. A lot's going to happen in your life over the next 10 years. A lot's going to happen in your life before you get to your graveside. I, I don't know much about life. I know that if you live long enough, it'll kill you. <laughs> life is toxic, apparently. I know you have an appointment with God. I know that for a fact. I don't believe in God. You go with that. Not trying to be insulting. Just that I don't think it's going to work out for you. Why? Why? Well, how about this? This sounds corny, but let's do it. Let's take the 10 speeding ticket challenge. I came back from uh, Buffalo last night. I flew low. I was trying to beat the storm. I didn't get pulled over. That's good. It was close, though. The guy in front of me was not so lucky. 10 speeding ticket challenge. What's that, Michael? Uh, Just see if you can talk yourself out of the next 10 speeding tickets. Ten in a row. Why ten in a row? Well, there's ten commands. Ten commands. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, the ten commands are easier than the two they represent. But the ten commands, the ten commands is what, if, if that was the standard, if that was the standard, I don't think you could get past God's bench and into God's glory by talking your way out of the ten commandments. I, I think you'd find yourself guilty real fast. And if I had time, I'd go through them and show you. But I'm not going to do that today. I'm just going to tell you that the, real, the commands that God has for us is to love God. That's the actual first command. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and spirit. If you won't listen to the teachings of Jesus, then you cannot love God. Okay? So, boom. Done. You missed on the first ticket. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to be rude. If I'm coming across that way, it's not my intention. That I don't think there's a better alternative than Jesus. That's right. And I think we need to get this buttoned up because there's a flood coming. The Bible says, Matthew 24, Jesus said this. I know I keep saying that, but I just want you to understand, this is what Jesus said. I don't know what you believe about how end times are going to go. And it's not that I don't care. It's just that when Jesus says something, you need to listen to what Jesus says. He takes precedent over anything that's written in any other book. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you will be arrested, persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And you, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. In fact, unless that time of calamity were shortened, not a single person would survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. That's what Jesus said. It's not me. I could tell you my views on times, but I'll be honest with you. I'm a pan-millennialist, which means I believe it will all pan out. (laughs) I know Jesus is coming back and I know he rules with a rod of iron and I know I'm on his side. That I know. I look forward to it and dread it at the same time. There is a flood coming. So I thought about Noah as I was working on what this flood concept is. Noah spent more than a lifetime, more than one of our current lifetimes, building a boat. The Bible calls him in Peter a preacher of righteousness. I don't exactly know how it went down, but I imagine that the preacher of righteousness that Peter labeled Noah as spent well over a 100 years, according to what we read in the early parts of the Bible, building a boat. No one at the time had ever seen a boat. No one had boat days. No one had ever heard of rain. And here's Noah building a boat. And I imagine that everyone in the area or more that came, I bet people came from miles around to see the nut building the boat. That's what I bet. And here's Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Now, did he go out there every day and tell him, hey, there's a storm coming, you need to get in the boat with me? He very well may have. All I know is that even if he never said anything, if all he did was build a boat, that is preaching righteousness. Because every day someone's walking by and go, look at the nut job building the boat. On their way to the next thing that was on their schedule to do. They were just doing life. That's what I want you to understand. They were just doing life. And here's a nut who was not doing life like they were doing life. And he was mocked and ridiculed, that's what we assume happened. Until it started to rain. And then people began to realize, maybe the nut wasn't a nut. Maybe the crazy guy wasn't crazy. But then it was too late. We're boat builders getting ready for a flood. It took a long time for Noah to build that boat. It's going to take your entire life for you to do what God has for you to do. People didn't understand what Noah was doing. You don't need anyone to understand you or appreciate you or affirm you to do what Jesus said. That's right. It's great when we have the body together and we have the season in the history of the church where we can gather in large settings like this and we can encourage each other. That is awesome. It may not always be the case. I just talked to a man this weekend who spent several years in a prison cell all by himself being tortured just for the purpose to make him recant his faith and tell people who his friends were. That was the whole purpose of it. And his faith remained. Did he have questions for God? You betcha. God, why why are these horrible things happening to me? That's that's the kind of questions we ask. Why are these horrible things happening to me? And do you know what? If you ask God a question, you know what will happen? If you will listen, he will give you an answer. He will likely not give you the answer you want. He's just not made, uh, well, he's not made at all, but he's certainly not made that way. And so we need to learn from Noah that, in the end of the story, everyone dies, except for Noah and his family. Was God a jerk? No. God gave those people over a 100 years. God put Noah down there as a preacher of righteousness, who every day went out and built a boat, likely his sons grow up, grew up boat building, He went out every every day, and he was faithful to God, and that was a testimony to all the people that God was doing something, that God had an answer, that God was actually trying to save someone. And for the vast majority of the world, it made zero difference. God could have waited a thousand years. The outcome would have been the same. So here we are, building our boat... You know, the cool thing is now, because of the Holy Spirit and his power in our lives, people, people come on board. We're not like Noah. For a hundred years, his church grew to a size of eight. woo, And he gave birth to half of those. That's why our family is so big, we were just trying to grow the church. <laughs> Noah said things because God said things to Noah. Everyone else was just trying to do their life. And I realize that right now life is hard. I realize that you have to find the joys where you can. But God said things, Jesus said things. And time isn't just passing, folks, it's running out. I don't know when. Maybe long after I'm dead and gone. But I know one day the clock winds down, Jesus comes back, and all the books are going to get settled. One day it'll be too late. I hate that. I do. Maybe, maybe it's a hundred years from today. But every one of us in a hundred years, at least most of us, will be gone. We will have gone to our appointment so whether or not Jesus comes back today or in 100 years actually isn't that relevant because sooner or later you're going to meet God. That's right. And when you meet God, you need an answer. <laughs> you need an answer. You know, he's going to look at you and say, well, hey, maybe it's as simple as this. Did you love me with all your heart, mind, body, soul, spirit? Did you love your neighbor? I knew you loved yourself. <laughs> and you know, like... You can try and argue with God. I don't think it's going to go well. Read Isaiah 6. See how, see how that's going to go down. I think you're going to see God and you're not going to have anything to say. That's, that's, you're going to see, I think you're going to see Jesus and not... Yeah, I don't think you're going to have anything to say. Or you can, you can get your answer now. Here's my answer. You ready? Jesus. He's all I got. I'm not worthy. I failed in every way possible. I don't have enough. I can't earn it. You see, the, thing, the awesome thing about the mercy of God, I think that's the great unknown of the universe. Everyone likes to really be rough and beat us up about these end times things. But I think the great unknown of the universe is the mercy of God. I just don't think we understand how merciful He is. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, the mercy of God is my only hope. But I'm telling you, it's my confidence too. I'm like, I'm not... I'm not worried about it. A lot of folks get, af- get afraid, especially as they get close to death. They get worried. Okay, well, what's going to happen? How's it going to be? I'm going to tell you what. The Bible says in John chapter 8, if a man believes in me, he'll never see death. I believe and I know for a fact that the second you get ready to cross over, Jesus is going to be there and he's going to walk you home. That's what's going to happen. You say, Michael, how do you know that? Well, one, I know it because Jesus said it. He rose from the dead. Anything he says, I'm with You say something, disagrees with something, Jesus said, he's right, you're wrong. Not mad, that's just the reality. Jesus said it. Number two, one of the privileges I get as a pastor is I have been at the passing of more people than I can count, or at least been in the proximity of that passing. And to borrow terms from John Wesley, who once said, our people die well, or maybe it was Charles. I have just seen too many people that they were kind of like in pre-heaven just before they exited here. One of my favorite stories is my wife's grandmother. Sorry, hon. We were... She was getting close to going home. And I went in and... uh, I don't know why we did it, but I started singing. My favorite song is It Is Well. My absolute favorite song in the history of all songs is It Is Well. And I just began singing she was barely awake, barely conscious. And all of a sudden, she joined me. She's in that hospital bed, not really knowing what's going on. And I'm singing, and she's going right along with me the best that she can. I saw the glory of God on her face. I was not worried about where she was going. One more. His name was Bill. Sorry. Bill was a good old boy. And I know you don't know what a good old boy is, but down south, a good old boy is a guy that morally is one of the best guys ever. He helps everyone around. Just doesn't he's just so good, he just doesn't need Jesus. I meet a lot of good old boys. And that was Bill. His wife, Christina, went to church every Sunday without him for like decades. And he was out fishing or whatever because he was just a good guy. Well, he got stomach cancer. When he got stomach cancer, they took out two-thirds of his stomach. A pastor friend of mine who had known Bill forever, we went to the hospital and talked to Bill. And Bill gave his life to Jesus. Deathbed confession. I know some of the people are going, yep, perfect timing. I had my doubts myself. It's like, man, is this just someone trying to eke in at the last second, you know? Three days later, Pastor Troy, who was my friend who was with me, he went to the hospital to visit Bill. And Bill, who'd only been saved for three days, well into his 70s, is sitting up in his bed with his arms toward heaven, worshiping God. I was no longer worried about Bill. I knew where he was going. Why? Heaven just has a way of invading. If you are ever worried about death, trust Jesus. Just trust Jesus. He's going to get you through this. Do I know exactly what's on the other side? Not really. I have a dog. She's awesome. She really likes me for reasons no one can understand. If I'm in a room... she's never been in and she's outside and there's a closed door and she hears my voice she will scratch and do everything she can to get into the room I'm in even though she has no idea what's in that room as you get close to the door you're gonna hear his voice and you're gonna go I know that voice and you're gonna be like I don't care what's on the other side of the door It's not what's on the other side of the door, it's it's who is on the other side of the door. I, I share all this with you. I just want you to know and trust Jesus. That's it. And I want you to know that trusting Jesus is not mental assent, trusting Jesus is not a religious ritual. Trusting Jesus is trusting Jesus. It's trusting that the words that he says are true. It's trusting that when he tells us what to do and how to do it, that he knows what he's talking about. Trusting us that, it's trusting Jesus that he understands the workings of heaven and the kingdom and that everything he says to us is about us being there with him. That's what he wants. God loves people. God loves you. And he wants as many of you with him as is possible he wants everyone to join him and most won't because many people are willing to do a ritual and many people are willing to to do things that they think might earn them something but not many people are willing to listen to jesus and that is what matters do you understand i've tried to make this very clear And I hope I've succeeded. Let's bow our heads. If I could have the worship team. And if I could have the prayer team. I guess I'm going to have you over there behind the prayer sign. Because I don't know what's about to happen. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. God's spirit is now. Has or has been, walk in the room. The love of God is everywhere. That's why we began the service loving each other. I just wanted you to know that you're loved and that love comes from someone. And here's the question. Am I listening to Jesus? Does my life say that Jesus is Lord by the actions that I take? Or am I just holding on to some shallow rituals and memories and nostalgia? I don't know what. All I know is you and I, we have to learn to follow and listen to Jesus. And if you have never committed to follow and listen to Jesus, then that's what today's about. Or even if you have and you're off course, that's what today's about. I know I've got some things I've got to deal with with Jesus too. So that's what this part of the service is about. The worship team sings, and some of us are going to worship because when we worship, amazing things happen. But some of you need to pray, some of you need to get started listening to Jesus. Some of you have other things that you need God to do something about in your life. This is that part of the service. This is when we pray. Prayer is the most powerful, important thing we actually do. So while we're singing, I'm going to go over here to my right, your left, behind the prayer sign. I've got some helpers over there. If I need more, I can wave, and I've got folks who will come help. And they will pray over you. They will pray for you. They will get you started. You can pray with them. And you and I together will become more and more people who listen to what Jesus says and follow his teaching. Father God, I don't work miracles. (laughs) And this is the biggest miracle of all. Someone laying down their life and following Jesus. On a regular basis it would seem. I ask, Lord, that you would stir our hearts to follow Christ. I pray that you would destroy our faith in wrong things and give us a real faith in Jesus. You're good and you're merciful, so we trust you. In Jesus' name. Worship team. You can stand.